0: A few years ago, I was uh, on holiday by the Mediterranean and uh, in a hotel, and often in hotels, the people who uh, have left often leave their books for other people to read. So I actually picked up a book which um, had, uh, uh, the name of the author was Victoria Hislop. And um, I sometimes watch Ian Hislop on, have I got news for you? And so I thought, oh, I wonder what her book's like. And the book was called The Island. And um, it was a really, really excellent book about a a real-life leper colony. Obviously, she did a fictitious storyline to it, but this leper colony was on an island just off the coast of Crete. And um, so I read it and then Mary read it. And then when we came back over the last year or two, we've actually read a number of her books. And then just this year, we got hold of her latest book which actually is called One August Night and um, it actually picks up the story of this leper colony and uh, because it was a a couple of years ago when we read it and we've also read so much in between, uh, Mary when she started reading it, she read it first, she said to me, she said, part of the challenge is remembering some of the uh, characters because the author picks them up as uh, this uh, leper colony is closed down because they've found a cure for leprosy and so people had been taken from the island of Crete to mainland Greece and other places, put on the leper colony with a leprosy. Some had died there but uh, once the cure came, the ones that were still alive, uh, which is where this second book picks it up, actually were then transferred back into Crete and then uh, back to uh, where they were going to uh, make their homes again and uh, what I realized is knowing the backstory really helps you when you're uh, reading or looking at something now in the present. That would be true for us at CCM, we're looking to plant six new sites and uh, knowing the backstory of this again helps put some context in it. Uh, 30 plus years ago when I lived in the south of England, and New Frontiers was only a few churches actually, um, God spoke to us as a movement that if we planted churches back into the nation, then uh, of the UK, then he would send out workers and church planters and all over Europe and to the nations. And so I was asked, would we spearhead uh, a church plant into Manchester? And uh, on my very first journey, to Manchester. I remember picking up a, in those days a cassette and and it was a, a vineyard pre, uh, pastor and uh, I was listening to him as I was driving up to Manchester to meet a couple of people that were going to host me and uh, this preacher was basically saying the trouble with people these days they've stopped dreaming. and. Uh, i'm listening to this i'm driving and then he says what is your dream and i remember speaking audibly to the cassette of almost like back to it i want to plant 20 churches and uh, which was a fairly bold statement i'd planted two before but they weren't a, a rip-roaring success by any means and uh, but came to manchester with that in my mind and then uh, was picked out of a crowd in a a meeting early on in my time here, and uh, a a prophet from another movement prophesied that actually this would happen. And uh, so we started planting churches and uh, that's how CCM uh, started. And then just a year, a couple of years ago, in fact, less than two years ago, Mike Pilavachi picked me out of a crowd and basically said that uh, God had given me dreams years ago, and uh, it was his intention that those dreams would carry on, that actually they were not made up, but they were from God. And actually it was out of that that spurred me to start praying for six new sites. And you can see that once you get the backstory, it actually builds faith, builds momentum and puts some context to the present reality. And we're going to look now at Jesus doing exactly this to his disciples and uh, they had—they uh, were in a terrible state. They had just witnessed Jesus dying on a tree, on a piece of wood. And uh, some of them, uh, the ladies, were there and watched it. Others had fled and had just heard what had happened. And uh, they were in a, a terrible state as they had witnessed uh, firsthand or by uh, word of mouth what had happened. Happened. Not only was it just a tragedy that someone who didn't deserve to die had been brutally murdered, but uh, there was an Old Testament uh, verse, an Old Testament um, saying that said this, if someone has committed a crime worthy of death and is executed and hung on a tree... The body must not remain hanging from that tree overnight. You must bury the body the same day for anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed in the sight of God. And so not only had they had this horrific situation where they had witnessed firsthand or by hearing Jesus dying, but they also understood that basically he was cursed. He was A fugitive, he was someone that was crucified on a wood, on a tree trunk. And uh, and so that just added to what was a horrific situation, making it uh, much worse. So, two of the people who had heard all about this started to walk to Emmaus from Jerusalem. Everything was gone wrong, everything was over. And as they're walking, a man came to the side of them and they got talking. In the end, they, they uh, ate together and uh, suddenly they realised the person who was with them was Jesus. And they were so traumatised by what had happened, they just couldn't recognise him. I mean, who would think that someone who had been dead and buried would be now talking to you? But basically, these two guys, once they realised that it was Jesus, Jesus left and they just hurtled back to Jerusalem and uh, I want to pick up the narrative now just and read a few verses from Luke chapter 24 and verse 44 and basically what happened is these two guys they went back met some of the believers and told them we've just seen Jesus we've been talking to him and then Jesus miraculously appears in their midst and they're absolutely scared and he said, look, look at the holes in my hand. Look at the my feet, holes in my feet and give me something to eat. So they gave him some fish because they thought it was a ghost. They thought, Who, how can this be? And then it says this in verse 44. He said to them, when I was with you before, that's before his death and his resurrection, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So for the three years he was with them. He kept opening the scriptures, the Old Testament, and explained what was going to happen to him. But they didn't understand it. And then it says this, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses to these things. So we can see now that as the uh, disciples, the apostles, were trying to figure out and trying to rationalise how their Messiah, their saviour, had been brutally murdered, not just by the Romans, but by the Jewish leaders, and also by a baying crowd who just days before, had been shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. We're now saying, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus takes them back and says, okay, I'm going to explain again. I'm going to show you again from the scripture why this happened. And so I'm going to quickly do uh, a biblical overview, just the sort of things that Jesus probably did. And, um, and he might have gone into greater detail just for a few minutes i'm just going to start right at the very beginning because basically what brought context and understanding to this brutal murder of an innocent person actually happened years before the the seed of it happened years before it says this in genesis 323 the lord said look the human beings Have become like us, knowing knowing both good and evil. That is Adam and Eve. What if they reach out take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And sending them out, out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim on the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life because the people of God that God created to fill the whole earth with his glory basically had turned their back on him had done the things that he said they shouldn't do they were banished from his presence they were banished from the garden and this mighty cherubim was placed uh, as a guard and quickly after their expulsion from Paradise from the Garden of Eden, from the presence of God. Murder came in and murder came in to their children. Says one day, Cain, who was one of their kids, suggested to his other brother, let's go out into the fields. And they went into the field and Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Quickly, murder, terrible things started happening in the earth. And you can imagine Jesus said, it started then, people killing each other. Genesis 6 said this, now God saw the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on the earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I've decided to sh- destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. They were supposed to fill the earth with the glory of the... the of the Son of God, glory of the Lord and uh, his presence and what have they filled the earth with? It says violence and corruption, exactly what's happening today, exactly what happened in Jesus's day. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the whole earth. He saved Noah and the story went on. Jonathan Edwards, he was a an 18th century preacher in New England and uh, was part of a massive revival with uh, an English preacher called uh, George Whitfield and uh, he wrote a sermon that became very kind of famous at the time and he, he basically titled his sermon this Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God and he did it from Jerusalem Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. You know we don't often talk this way um, in in our society we don't often preach this way in our churches but the reality is sinners basically have been expelled from the presence of God uh, Paul would say this in Romans God showed his anger from heaven against all sinful wickedness who suppress the truth with their wickedness The wrath of God, the anger of God against sin is there. That's why we talk about hell. That's why we talk about judgment. That's why we know that when things are wrong and when people seem to get away with murder, literally, as we know, happened in the Bible, we know happens today, we know there's much evil in this world. God's anger, Paul says, is against the sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth with their uh, their wickedness. So death and hell are the destiny of everyone who falls short of the glory of God. That is the truth. Death and hell is the destiny of everyone who falls short of the glory of God, who is perfection. Now, in that story, in that narrative of murder, of people turning away from God in Genesis, there's a glimmer of the gospel. There's a glimmer of hope. You see, when God's addressing Satan, who tempted Adam and Eve to sin, as he's addressing Adam and Eve as well, he says this. And I will cause hostility between you, that is Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. As I said, there's a glimmer of hope in the gospel in which it was foretold that the Messiah should have his heel bruised. He was killed on a cross. But by that, the serpent's head would be incurably broken, that actually victory would come out of something that was tragic as well. And so at the very beginning, we see war and murder and wickedness, and we see a glimmer of God's redemptive purpose for the people of God. And as I said, Instead of the glory of the Lord and the people of God spreading all over the world, goodness and mercy and truth, it's wickedness and murder spread. And then God got hold of a man, Abraham, who was in Babylon, and he said to him, he said, look, leave this place and your relatives and your father's land, and I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So in this wickedness, in this murder, in this sinful world that was destined to hell, God brought a man and said, look, through you, through you, I'm going to bless the world. Just... Moving on. And you can imagine Jesus saying this. And you see, when he's talking about these things, they can understand, Okay, the cross, this terrible thing that happened. Actually, we can see there's a sense of the prediction there in the Old Testament. And then the need for a sacrifice. Years later, the people of God that were called out of Babylon became a great nation were actually subjected to slavery in Egypt. And uh, the Egyptian pharaohs uh, put more and more pressure on them, treated them terribly. And in the end, God's anger was against the pharaoh. And God said to the people of God, sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on your doorpost. And when I bring judgment to pharaoh for what he's done, I'm going to pass over, literally pass over your house. You will be safe. And they understood then that actually the blood of a lamb was actually going to save them. And again, as Jesus is saying, he's pointing to the cross. He's pointing what happened and it was a horrific thing. But actually, it was a sacrifice that needed to be made in Leviticus, it talks about the perfect sacrifices that needed to be made. And then years later, the people of God entered their land and they cried out, God, give us a king. Other nations have a king, give us a king. And literally, God said, okay, Saul, he became king, and that didn't go well. And then God found another man, a young boy, David after his own heart a shepherd boy and he raised up the shepherd boy who became king of Israel and uh, literally near the end of David's life God gave him a word a prophetic word which says this I will raise up in 2 Samuel 7 8 I will raise up one of your descendants your own offspring and I'll make him a king, his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his throne forever. Jesus is saying, "Look, not only is a the sacrifice there. There's a king who's actually going to live forever." You know, when Jesus hung on that tree, hung on that cross, and eventually the Roman centurion put a plaque up. This is the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews, and it's like all these Old Testament. Things, The glimmer of the gospel in Genesis, the sacrifice, the call of Abraham. A king that will carry on, a kingdom that will go forever and ever. And then. Just as we bring this to uh, this point to a a conclusion, we learn in Jeremiah that God promised that actually we would have a new heart. And a new covenant in Jeremiah 31:33. I will make a new covenant, my people. I will put my instructions deep with them, with them, in them. I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach your neighbor, for you'll need or nor will you need to teach your relatives, saying you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never remember their sins. And so here's Jesus saying, look, these prophetic words, they were about me. And then just the final one, and you can imagine Jesus saying this to them, you know, the Isaiah said this. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. You know, Jesus didn't say a word, really, when he was in front of Pilate. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter so descriptive of jesus and as a sheep is silent before she he did not open his mouth unjustly condemned absolutely brutally condemned he was led away no one cared that he died without descendants that his life was cut short in midstream but he was struck down for the rebellion of many people he had done no wrong and never deceived anyone but he was buried like a criminal he was put in a rich man's grave, you know, they knew this is exactly what was happening, and this was written centuries before, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants, and he will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand, can you imagine now the disciples who would have heard these stories many times in the synagogue, they would have heard them Even Jesus speaking to them on the three years they travelled together. But now, now their eyes are open. They suddenly were part of it all. They had been witnesses to all this. And suddenly the scriptures, it says, became alive to them. Anger, judgment, mercy, sacrifice, promise. New covenant. These are the themes that Jesus is bringing. And then he says this. It was in Luke 24, 47, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. That call to Adam and Eve to fill the earth with the glory of the Lord, the call to Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And now Jesus is picking up that Old Testament thread and saying, now you who have witnessed Everything that the Bible talks about my death, my burial, and now my glorious resurrection. Now, I want you to go to the world. I want you to go to the nations. I want you to tell everybody this good news that although judgment is there, although sinners who are in the hand of an angry God are going to face hell, actually, there is good news as well. The good news is this that if people repent, if people turn away from their sin, if people acknowledge that this sacrifice of a pure human being on a cross, dealt once and for all for the sin of everyone, then this is great news to a fallen sick generation and nations. Peter understood this. And he understood all that Jesus said, because on the day of Pentecost, he addressed the crowd and he went through the, whole, the Old Testament, just like Jesus did and said, look, you, you murdered him. He said to the crowd, you murdered him. And then he explained from Joel and the prophets and David all that had to happen to Jesus. And then said to them, when they said, what do we do to be saved? And he says, repent and believe and be baptised. For the forgiveness of sins so we have a mission we have a mission to present the horror of sin and you know what by presenting it it helps people understand why the world is as it is to the tragic human cost of that sin and some of you are social workers, some of you are a doctors, nurses, some of you are in other professions that you're just on the front foot of looking at some of the most deadly, de- horrible things that are people do to one another. We need to show people hell and, it all, hell and all its terror. That's what sin does. But, you know, the glimmer of the gospel is now in full bloom. The glimmer that was there in Genesis is now in full display. Jesus Christ has died once and for all. He has been buried and he is alive. And he wants to be so present with us. My saviour. I remember when I knew that Jesus was alive. I was transformed I was it just did it took a pagan young 16 year old who had no intention of being in church or anything and totally transformed my life this is the good news the love of God the mercy of God who brings the broken and the lost and the people who've been damaged by the sin of this world and brings them into a glorious family the church the bride of Christ, the people of God, where we care for one another, love one another, look after one another until the day Jesus comes, until the day he comes in all his glory and breaks bread with us and gives us a fabulous meal. And we, in this next few weeks, are going to look at the whole idea of being a missionary people of being a people on mission and we're going to look at some very practical things I've given you kind of a little bit of an overview the big story and we're going to look at the whole uh, thing of mission and we're going to use the first letter each letter of the of the uh, word mission and so next week we're going to look at having meals with others you know I'm so looking forward to that I'm going to get my barbecue out soon and uh, as Mary my wife would say I always get out too early anyway every year and uh, I just love saying okay let's start spring early and uh, what's only going to be even better when we're able to do that with neighbours and friends. We've made some really good contacts and friends with our neighbours through lockdown and through people in the street even just applauding for the NHS. It's amazing. Mary got three presents and cards from neighbours Uh, actually from different faith backgrounds as well from uh, and uh, just because we have made contact be great when we can share meals with them interceding for them praying for people that's another uh, preach we're going to look at serving practically how we can serve so many people are going to need being served sharing our faith with people, being able to explain the good things that our God has done for us and inviting people to Alpha. We've got numbers of people on this present Alpha. We'd love to do a Spanish-speaking Alpha. Be great to that, be able to invite people and to offer prayer. And then finally, when we looked at N, lots of the uh, leaders, the staff said, what can we, what, how, how can we use the letter N? And uh, I said, n is never give up and that is true we just never give up and uh because our prayers are this that god will break in my dad was saved at 85 years old and uh, uh, be- and he-, he was saved this way uh, he had broken uh, i think it was his hip and he was told to walk a mile and then rest and oh, i think it was a mile and then went on part of his recovery and he ended up Walk, he realised if he walked to the church, which he never went to before, and sat there, have a rest while the sermon was on, he could walk home. You know what? He gets saved. And then when he dies, the vicar talks about the faith. And my dad, he never give up.